0: Scripture reading is from the book of John chapter 1 verses 35 through 51 the next day John was there again with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by he said look the Lamb of God when the two disciples heard him say this they followed Jesus turning around Jesus saw them following and asked what do you want they said rabbi which means teacher where are you staying come here he replied And you will see so they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him it was about the 10th hour andrew simon peter's brother was one of the two who heard what john had said and who had followed jesus the first thing andrew did was to find his brother simon and tell him we have found the messiah that is the christ and he brought him to jesus jesus looked at him and said you are simon son of john you will be called cephas Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite, in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. When Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree you shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man.
1: Thanks a lot, Lindy, appreciate it. I'm so glad you guys could join us tonight. What a story to talk about. Um, I'm really excited about this one, specifically because I, I love stories about beginnings. I don't know if any of you guys are like that, but I love finding out how this all happened. Um, Hearing about, where did this start? Uh, You know, I have some little riddles to open up with tonight, and I want you guys to try and guess what I'm talking about here. Uh, You'll get the picture. So this company was founded in 1889 and produced decks of cards from the bark of mulberry trees. It was a dominant player in the playing cards business and also got involved with a string of failed ventures including taxis, food, and hotels, before it hit its major success with a groundbreaking product in the 1980s. Any guesses? Nintendo. Yeah. Uh, Here's another one for you. So this actor from Canada dropped out of school at age 15 when his father lost his job. His family lived together in a VW van, most likely down by the river. Uh, He worked as a janitor to make ends meet for his family. Um, Once his family's financial situation stabilized, he went back to school but never graduated high school. Uh, His dad drove him to major cities to do improv comedy shows. He had a series of minor roles, but got his first elite jobs in 1994 when he starred in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber. Jim Carrey, boom. Pretty crazy. Um, You know, I love hearing these stories about companies and actors and baseball players, and you all know these stories. Kurt Warner was stocking groceries, and then the next year he's the MVP of the Super Bowl champions. Amazing stuff like that. But I also enjoy hearing these stories on a personal level. One of the first things my wife and I always ask people when we hang out with other couples for the first time is, how'd you guys meet? Uh, I'm sure you guys love to hear about things like that with your peers. Uh, I also really enjoy hearing people's stories about what got them to the place they are in life. I think one of the most powerful things that we get to share in community is our faith stories. How did, how did this person happen? Man, uh, I'd love to share my story with you sometimes, uh, sometime. I think, uh, I think we all have some pretty surprising stories of how God has worked in our lives and changed our hearts, and uh, you know, It's some really powerful stuff. And so I've been really encouraged by your guys' stories. But we have the privilege tonight of looking at the story of the beginning of the church. And that is what Lindy just shared with us. And it's kind of funny to think that that is the story of the beginning of the church because this is 2013 years old, guys. And that was a ridiculously subtle story. You know, I think when people plant churches nowadays, and it's the 150th church in town, it's usually a much bigger deal than that story we just read. I get little hangers on my door all the time of new churches that are starting up and people are like, how are we going to start this new church? Well, like, obviously we need hot air balloons. We need to give everyone who comes a free mug. Um, You know, this is what you do. Uh, We have to market the heck out of ourselves. It's so funny. I think that Jesus probably missed the memo on effective marketing. If the church is coming to the world, he probably should have at least tweeted it out or something. Um, Calling people to follow him. Are they really following him if they're not Facebook or Twitter followers? These are questions we need to confront. We don't claim to have all the answers, but we refuse to ignore the difficult questions. (laughs) Love that line. Um, So you know, as we look at this text, it's so rich, so subtle. These are ordinary people in a really insignificant place with low-key happenings. So. We have to understand these two disciples that followed Jesus, they were disciples of John first. And what John's ministry was about was calling people to repentance, calling them to look inside and recognize that where they were at in their hearts was not where they need to be in order to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. And so the Messiah wasn't an unfamiliar term to these people. The Messiah was this religious leader, this political figure. There had been prior Messiahs, but. What was different about John is that he was pointing to the coming of the Messiah, the leader, who would change everything. And the disciples didn't exactly know what that looked like. They had a lot of preconceived notions. And I think that it's not a stretch to say that we have a lot of preconceived notions about what the Messiah is like in our own lives, um, without really digging into the Word and seeing what Scripture says about who the Messiah is and how we should live our lives in response to that. And so these disciples, it must have been odd to them when they had John proclaim that the Messiah was here by referring to him as the Lamb of God. And so when we look at that phrase, the Lamb of God, there are a few different ways that maybe there are a few different things that may have led John to use that phrase to describe the Messiah. Um, First, the Passover lamb. Maybe he was trying to speak of Jesus as the true and better Passover lamb. Maybe he was quoting uh, prophecy from Isaiah 53 referring to uh, the prophet's words that he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Maybe he was referring to the lamb that God provided for Abraham in place of his son Isaac. All of these things foreshadowed Christ. But we're not 100% sure exactly what John was referring to when he said that. And the disciples must have thought, if this is the Messiah, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, that seems like a little bit of a bleak metaphor to capture this Huge political religious leader, um, so I don't think it's coincidence that Jesus had to tell them twice. We read earlier in the Book of John that John the Baptist referred to him as the Lamb of God, and they didn't do anything. And so the next day, which is where our story today picked up, Jesus said it again, and they're like, "Okay, I guess, I guess maybe this really is him." And this is a huge deal. So I think that phrase, being so small and subtle, must have caught them off guard. And so I love as we read through this, how it all unfolded. Pretty much these guys are creeping along behind Jesus. And I imagine he like heard the rocks crunching. And he, so Jesus turns around and he's like, what do you want? And, uh, you know, that's, a, that's such an interesting phrase. <laughs> Jesus said to them in, uh, in, this, in this chapter, what do you want from me? And they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? I think it's so. It's such a such an interesting thing that the first words of the Messiah are a question. Um, what do you want from me? I wonder if they thought, is he asking like right now? Like, what do I want? Um, you know, like, am I hungry? Where are you going? It's such a vague question, what do you want from me? I think that he could have been speaking on a very temporal level, or he also could have had a double meaning in that question. What do you want from me? You know, you can go up to the desk at the deli and the lady will say, what do you want? Or you can have somebody come up to you on the street, um, you know, doing evangelism, like,
2: what do you want out of
1: life? What do you want? Uh, It's a phrase that is so open-ended. And so I think that when Jesus said this, these guys didn't exactly know how to take it. and Their response is really funny. They didn't know what to say. They're like, where are you going? Um, They didn't really know what they wanted. And I think they didn't know what they wanted because they didn't really know what was available. Um, What is available? If you're really the Messiah, what do you have to offer? Should I be asking if, uh, you know, maybe I can have a place when this huge upheaval of the government is taking place? Or, you know, maybe I can be on your team when this whole temple is overthrown and I'm on the good side? What's going on? They didn't know. And it's really interesting. Jesus invites them to join him. And so as we continue on the text, Jesus invites them to come along with him to where he's staying. Um, and he spends time with them. And so as we progress through this, it's, it's amazing to see how the Messiah is so patient with them. Um, he doesn't expect them to know everything about who he is. He doesn't expect them to know everything about what he would do. He invites them in to spend time with him and to get to know him. And I think it's just amazing. There's so many times when we can think about our faith as principles to be, to be believed or truth claims that we have to sign our name on the dotted line in order to be on the right side of things um, with our faith. And surely Christian faith is about beliefs. It's about understanding the truth. It's understanding doctrine, and who God really is. But it's also about this relationship. And I think that sometimes we can totally miss out on that. Um, At least in my mind, I can be so caught up in thinking about, do I have these principles right? Do I really understand who God is? Is my theology 100% straight? Um, And it's really encouraging to me to see that Jesus was so patient with them, inviting them into relationship with him, patiently allowing this to develop, revealing himself to them in time. And, you know, I think this is something that we need to remember in our own lives. I want us to consider right now that maybe this is a little too early in my message to, for me to be asking you to think deep inside of your heart. But I think that maybe this could be a time in our lives when Jesus is saying to us, What are you seeking? What do you want? Um, and I, I know that there are some of us here who probably would answer that question uh, with Jesus. I want. A person, not a thing, not a what, it's a who. And I think there are others of us here who might say, well I don't really know what I want. Um, Success sounds pretty good, Uh, a great relationship sounds really nice, it would be nice to have some solid plans for after I graduate. Um, There are other things that sound really appealing, and honestly those things are really important, and God is over those things as well. But when it comes down to at the core of our desires, what is it that we most want, and I think that what we can see in this passage is that a relationship being the answer to those deepest desires is something that's going to bring us fulfillment that nothing else can. And that's what Jesus invites these disciples into, um, Andrew and this other disciple. And so for you, um, maybe that's a question that you need to answer. Maybe it's a question that you already have answered. And if you're that person who says, I'm not really certain, I would invite you. I guess I'll use the same invitation Jesus did. Come and see. Um, it's okay that you don't have it all figured out right now. Come and explore. Hear some teaching. Read the scriptures. Get to know some people who call themselves followers of Christ. See what it's all about. Um, if you are a follower of Christ, you know, I think there are some times where I've definitely, though I've been a follower of Christ and I've answered that question with, I want Jesus. I haven't exactly felt the overwhelming joy and peace that passes understanding that I believe in my mind should be there. Uh, I have a friend who has a phrase that on one hand I totally affirm and on the other hand there are times where I'm like I don't really agree with that. What he says is if you get the gosp- if you if you're not jumping up and down over the gospel then you don't get it. Um, I think that's true. If you really understand at the core of your being that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that's going to fill you with such joy. And maybe you're not literally jumping up and down, but on the inside, you should be jumping up and down. There are some times where I've really been able to affirm that statement, and there are some other times where I'm like, wow, I guess I'm not saved because that phrase totally pins me to the wall, and I certainly don't feel like I'm jumping up and down when life smacks me across the face. Um, But I think that that's probably a result of the fact that I'm not remembering what is really true and that my heart is seeking after other things just as much as it's seeking after Christ. I'm not answering that question with Jesus is what can really deeply fulfill me, remembering that he loves me, that he's made a way between me and the Father, that me and my deep brokenness, that gap has been bridged by his holiness and his sacrifice on my behalf. Um, When I really remember that and I focus my life on it and I spend time in the Word reminding myself of what is true, the way I look at my life and my circumstances is totally different. And so I'd remind you guys, um, I'd encourage you rather to preach that truth to yourself, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Remind yourself of that and it'll keep you on track so that when you come to the times in your life when um, God gets a hold of you and says, what do you want? (laughs) You'll remember what it is that you really need. And I think that God's Spirit will work inside of you and frame your affections, the desires of your heart, differently so that what you want is what is really true, which is Him. Um, And so it's amazing. You guys, I'm sure you've experienced this in your lives. Whenever you find out something that is awesome, you can hardly keep it in. Like, um, I know there are some people in here who recently got engaged. And when you get engaged, you don't want to just like act like everything's normal and not tell anyone. You want to tell everyone you know, because it's so exciting, it's such great news. And uh, you know, like we'll go out here and eat some baked cookies in a few minutes, and people are gonna be like, oh yeah, I just ate this cookie, you gotta go try that one. It's almost not as great to enjoy, you can't enjoy something fully unless you share it with someone else. Um, My wife and I had a friend rooming with us for a few weeks, and my music tastes are really strange, I'll say that right now. I don't like Metallica like Dan, But I like strange stuff. I like, you know, your obscure indie rock and all that. But I also like the most like random poppy country music that you guys probably think is really cliche. And I also like stupid hip-hop. And so like my perfect combination was this Florida Georgia Line song where it was um, Cruz mixed with Nelly. Like I love that song. And so my roommate was over and he was, and my wife and I were talking about that song. And I was like, dude, you haven't heard that? And so he had this sweet sound system and we cranked it. And uh, the people in our like next door neighbors, I'm glad they only live there on the weekends because they would have been so ticked because we were cruising. Um, look that song up on YouTube because it's awesome. The end. Have a great night. Um, but man, I love that song. So I had to like tell them about it. It was like, you like Florida Georgia Line and Nelly? We got to talk about this, man. Let's listen to this. And it was great. Um, And shame on me if I don't get that excited about the gospel, right? (laughs) I mean, if Jesus Christ really saved the world and I was destined for death in hell, um, man, the gospel is good news. And if I don't want to share it, maybe I've got a wrong idea of what it is. Um, Because the way these guys responded when they heard about the gospel, they couldn't keep it inside. It was like they got engaged or something even better. Everything they'd been waiting for, everything they'd hoped for was fulfilled. It was now, it was here, and they had to tell people. Um, and so it's, so it's so cool when we read this. After Andrew and the other disciples spent this time with Jesus that night, the next morning, Andrew runs out and finds his brother. Um, the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus gave him a nickname, Rocky. Uh, you will be called Cephas which is translated uh, Peter. And so this means rock, the rock upon which Christ will build his church. And it's kind of interesting um, how he says will. It's kind of a future nickname and we don't hear Christ refer to Peter by this again until after he's resurrected. And I think that partially is reflective of the fact that Peter had some transformation he needed to go through, some sanctification by the spirit and through lessons learned and hard knocks. Um, Peter had some pretty big screw-ups as a disciple, and I think it's not unsafe to say that those things were probably things that Christ used to mold him into the disciple who would be the rock of the church for which Christ nicknamed him uh, Rocky. And so we continue on after that, and Jesus is spreading the news. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He finds Philip. Um, he didn't just bump into him. He found him, um, and he says, follow me, and Philip uh, Philip followed. Like Peter and Andrew, he was from the town of Bethsaida. And so Philip then goes out and he finds Nathanael. And Nathanael is a little bit harder of a nut to crack. This guy put up a fight. Um, He says, Philip to Nathanael, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And to say all that, That backstory about who he was and the fulfillment, I think is reflective of the fact that Nathaniel probably knew his Bible, um, the Old Testament back then. And so Nathaniel's response, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Come and see, said Philip. And I love Philip's response. It's the same thing that Jesus said earlier, when the guys were not entirely having it all together in their thoughts of who Christ was. He just says, come and see. So Philip, you know, it sounds like kind of a cop-out, but that's so great. Um, You don't understand who Jesus is? Come and see. Sometimes when I share the gospel with people, I wish I could just say, come and see. Um, Because if they could see Jesus, with the same eyes that I see him, after what he's done in my life and how he's transformed me, the way that he's changed my heart and given me new affections, given me love for people and transformed the tool bag I used to be into someone who can actually love others... It's amazing, and I wish I could just say, come and see. Um, And so, as he invites him along, he brings his questions to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't even jump down his throat. Um, When Jesus' saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. He kind of called him, called a spade a spade, recognized Nathanael for who he was. This guy is a straight shooter, and he wants an answer. He's not someone who's just going to beat around the bush or someone who's going to just go with the flow because it's easy and convenient. This guy wanted to know the truth. He was an honest person. He was a man without deceit. And so Nathanael recognized that. When Jesus said he's a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false, Nathanael said, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. He tells him who he is and he knows him. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Um, it's amazing how Jesus worked with him through that process. He wasn't angry with him that he didn't just have faith right off the bat and understand everything about him. He understood that it would take time, it would take getting to know him. And he responded in faith: You are the son of God. I think that tonight when we look at this passage it was hard for me to know exactly what to encourage you all with because right up front I think there has to be a strong encouragement to all of us to follow to seek him Um, because there's so many other things that we seek than Jesus not the what that'll satisfy us but the who that will satisfy us and so we can't forget that Um, whether we're new to faith or whether we've been Christians our entire lives Um, We need to center our hearts on the fact that Jesus Christ is the only thing that ever ever will give us true fulfillment. And we need to remind ourselves of that all the time because we're so quick to seek after other gods. Um, But in the same breath, we have to very strongly see that when people come to faith in Christ, it's not something that we can hold in. It's something that we want to share out of joy. Um, And so I want to take a few minutes just to talk about this. What is it like, what does it look like for Christ to call people to follow him and then what does it look like for those people that he calls to call their people to follow Christ as well. Um, I'm kind of hesitant to even use the word evangelism because sometimes that, that word just um, has connotations that people get a little bit nervous about. However I think it's something that's really important for us to talk about because we need to see what this passage of scripture says about evangelism and what it looks like to invite other people to follow Christ. I think sometimes we can see how evangelism is practiced and form negative ideas about it or form patterns on evangelism that may not necessarily be biblical. And so it's important to me that we talk about this. So right off the bat, one thing that Jesus uses in evangelism, um, I guess point one, in evangelism, Jesus uses words. That may seem really simple, uh, but there's a phrase that I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard before, preach the gospel always, use words when necessary. And I think as a general statement, it's really helpful. Um, We need to keep in mind that our actions need to reflect what we say is true with our mouths. And if we don't have a witness by our actions that lines up with what we say with our mouths, then our evangelism is probably going to be pretty ineffective. But that phrase, preach the gospel always, use words when necessary, is actually a misquote of Saint Francis of Assisi. He was more trying to get people to understand the concept that your words and actions should line up. And they just really simplified the phrase. And I don't think that's, con- I don't think that's true. I don't think it um, shows continuity with the way in which Jesus calls people to follow him. Because the gospel has to be communicated to be truly understood. I think it would be really arrogant if we as believers said, we're the only ones in the world who are capable of doing good things. Therefore, if we do good things, people will become Christians. Um, I've seen people be a lot more generous with their money than I am who aren't followers of Christ. I've seen people do really good things, giving of their time and their energy to serve others who aren't Christians. And so while service is something that we need to value, something we need to be able to care for our neighbors, um, driven by the Holy Spirit out of thankfulness for Christ, but we also need to confront um, with the truth and communicate who Jesus Christ really is as a son of God if people are going to become saved this isn't just my idea this is the Apostle Paul speaking in Romans uh, chapter 10 verse 14 how then will they call on whom and how let me start this over <laughs> how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed how will they believe him whom they have not heard and how will they hear without a preacher that's a lot of hums and whom's. I think that's something to consider our words And our actions are both very important. But if we never say what's true with the right words, then the gospel is not communicated. Uh, Secondly, Jesus communicates the gospel to people, and other people communicate the gospel to others in this passage in a way that is unique to individuals. Um, Jesus doesn't treat everybody the same. Uh, Listen to the words that I read in a commentary in preparing for this message. Each of the four cases of the disciples responding to Jesus detailed in this section are distinct, and Jesus' approach varies with each one. A reflection, no doubt, of the claim of John two twenty four 24-25, that Jesus knew what was in the heart of a man. Sensitive and skilled evangelists will need to remember the truth expressed here. Each potential disciple is an individual to be related to in a unique and distinct way. Laws and methods of personal evangelism can be helpful tools but the application must be individual in every case. So this is something that's really important to remember. Um, There's some times where I've shared the gospel with people and I'm like, wow, that may have been perfect for somebody who's never been to church before, but if this person grew up in a really religious family and just chooses to reject it, I probably should have used something different. And there are other times when I think that sometimes Christians can just be really insensitive in the way they share the gospel. And they do a lot more talking than listening surely to communicate the truth we need to com- there are things that we need to communicate um, but if someone's gonna have ears to hear they need to be understood they need to be listened to they need to know that they're cared for if they're really going to understand the unconditional love of Christ they need to have that love mirrored to them by the person who's trying to share Christ with them um, another thing that we see here the Gospels communicated in a way that is patient um, Jesus was okay with people needing time He wasn't, he didn't come down hard on Andrew and the other disciple, he didn't come down hard on Nathaniel for not getting it right off the bat. He gave them time to come with him, to get to know him. Um, Sometimes coming to faith is a process that takes time to work out in people's hearts. He doesn't get frustrated with people when they need that time, he lets them ask questions, he lets them get to know him. Um, I heard kind of a metaphor for this that's really helpful. You know, sometimes we refer to people who are Christians as being born again. And the birth process is something that takes nine months. And when we share Christ with people, you never know where they're at in that birth process. You may be catching them right at the very beginning and God's Spirit is just beginning a work in their heart. And God is going to use you to just be an early step in that process. Or maybe you're going to encounter someone when God's Spirit has been working in their heart in ways that you don't even know or that they don't even understand or even know that God's been working in them. And maybe when you share Christ with them, they're gonna become a Christian right on the spot because God began that work a long time ago. Or maybe when you share Christ with them, it's gonna take years. You don't know where God has them in that process. And so in the same way that for a woman who's pregnant to give birth to her child prematurely, it can be the most damaging thing to that baby's health. And so when you share Christ with someone, don't pressure them, don't force them to make a decision before they're ready for it. And don't make them think that God is judging them to make that decision before they're ready. God is going to work in their heart and we can trust Him in that, that He is sovereign, that He's over the situation, and that we're not the ones who need to do the work. It's His Spirit who's going to do the work. And so we can faithfully communicate the message He's given us to communicate. We can do it in a way that's unique to individuals. and We can do it with patience, trusting that God is going to bring about His intended result. Um, And finally... This is really important. Every time Christ is communicated, it's in a way that brings people into community with him. Emphasizing that personal relationship and also relationship with his church. No one ever is introduced to Christ and said, all right, good luck, well, have fun, we'll see you later. Um, It's always in a way that brings them into the church because we as followers of Christ are not to live as islands ourselves. It's something that just comes naturally to us. Uh, This day and age as Westerners we can just become so individualistic that we'll think that we're capable of meeting all of our needs Or finding things to meet them for us Um, And so we can just potluck around with whatever we feel like we need at the moment But we have to immerse ourselves in community to care for us to love us to remind us of the truth when we can't do it for ourselves And one of the ways that God speaks to us most is through his spirit and other followers of Christ And so when we share the gospel with people we need to bring them into the church We need to bring them into our friend groups. We need to bring them into fellowship. Um, I know that different times and different situations we'll share the gospel with people. Maybe you're on a mission trip in Africa. You can't say, well, I'm leaving tomorrow. Do you want to come to my house in Indiana? That's not feasible, but we need to connect people with the church. And I think this is a helpful thing for us to think of. Um, I would encourage you, this is totally my word of encouragement. This isn't straight out of scripture, but I like to tell myself, don't share the gospel with somebody unless I'm ready to be their friend. Um, don't just share the gospel with somebody and then say, good luck, have fun with that, I've done my duty. We need to love people and bring them into the church because life in the church is a gift. Jesus not only saves us from sin and death, but he saves us from our loneliness. And the church is a huge gift. And so um, what's stronger witness than bringing people into the church? And that's something that God does. Uh, so... Tonight, as you leave here, remember those two things. What are you seeking? What is it that you really want at the core of who you are? Um, what is it that you think will give you that peace and hope and fulfillment that you long for? I think that most of you know what the answer is. And seek Him. <laughs> uh, search in your heart and think about what your heart's affections are really focused on. And I would encourage you to set your sights on Christ and preach the gospel to yourself every day so that when those moments come, when you hit rock bottom, you're like, oh yeah, (laughs) there is something that will fully satisfy me. And then I'd encourage you, don't keep that good news inside. If you really get the gospel, you're going to want to communicate it to others. And so communicate that truth, that joy, um, the hope that is in Christ alone, and don't allow that to be a burden. Um evangelism should never be something that is a burden. It's something that's a joy and it's a privilege. And we can do that by treating people as individuals, loving them, caring for them. We can do it with patience, trusting that God is the one who's going to bring it to fruition. And we can do it in a way that involves them in community because that's going to be one of the greatest witnesses. Uh, So let's pray together right now. And you guys can grab a stool if you want, and these guys can ask some questions. Uh, Father God, I pray that... um, you would give us clarity on your word. We thank you for the gift that it is to be able to see scripture. Um, God, it's, it's amazing to know how the story ends. Uh, these disciples, they were just at the beginning and they didn't know who you were. Uh, Father, but we, we can see the end of the story. And God, we just pray that you would speak truth to our hearts. Help us to know you better. Help us to rejoice in the truth of our salvation in Christ alone. Um, give us hope in that center our hearts on that and god i just pray that evangelism would be something that we can just take joy in communicating truth about who you are um we don't have to do it to justify ourselves before you or to feel like um, we're going to gain some special blessing god um we already have your full blessing in christ you're pleased with us and um you call us to this as a gift and um what a gift it is to partner with you um in redemption lord and make your name known and so uh pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
2: Uh, If you have more questions, you can still text them in, or you can just raise your hand and and ask us uh, questions as well. Um, Here's a question uh, that came out of the the message. What does it mean to take up your cross, and what is our cross? Is the meaning individualized for each believer, or is there a universal meaning?
1: That's a good question. I, I mean, I think I can speak to it from a few different angles. I think that there is a general cross that all of us have to bear, which is just the weight of our sin on us and the calling which God puts upon us. Those things can both weigh in us because we know our inability to meet the calling God has put in our lives um, because of our sin and because the grandness of that task sometimes. and. In general, we've all seen that sometimes life isn't easy all because we've become Christians. In fact, Scripture says that in this life we will have difficulty, but we can take heart because He's overcome the world. So it is something that we can't expect. We can expect that life is going to be really hard, and that sometimes it's going to be a lot more like taking up our cross like Jesus did, than it is going to be standing in victory, celebrating. That's going to come. That's going to come in the last days when we stand, with Christ, it's going to come when he makes all things new better. Um, And so sometimes in life, we are going to be taking up our cross. And that's not always a pleasant thing, but he's always with us in that. And so it's something that's general in that it's something all of us will experience. But it's going to manifest itself in all of our lives in different ways. So I think expecting it is something that's really helpful in coping with it. What do you guys think?
3: Yeah, it's, it's a really elastic metaphor, isn't it? take up your cross and follow him, because it it seems like it could mean lots of things, and I think it does mean a lot of things. Um, And I I quite agree with what you said, Josiah. I wonder sometimes when I think of that image, um, what does it mean in relationship to this picture? Remember the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is about to face the cross, and he says, oh God, come on, isn't there another way? Right? So the, the mission of the cross was Jesus's cross on that occasion. So it might be that your cross is your particular mission or your particular calling, and you're saying to yourself, oh God, really, come on, is there another way? And the answer might be from God, no, this is your cross. Pick it up, that's where you're supposed to go. It's very personal to you, right? It was certainly personal to Jesus. But the other thing I think of um, that often is underemphasized, or perhaps never emphasized when you think about taking up your cross and following Christ what is the cross it's the glory of god what is the cross it's forgiveness of sins what is the cross it's eternal life pick up that cross and follow me maybe that means something too
2: that's awesome <laughs> i want to think on that one some more uh, yeah when i think it- to self, crucify that, let that die, and, and give up your own autonomy, and now you're following me, and you're choosing to find life in me, so I think what Josiah said, and Bob said is absolutely right, uh, so we all agree, which is rare, um, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it is something that's general, and yet it will manifest, how do you declare your autonomy? Uh, another question that I think uh, flows out of your message, Josiah, um, you quoted St. Francis, it's a quote we, we hear all the time, what would you say to someone who says, well, I know my life isn't where it ought to be, so I won't say any words until I get my life where it ought mm. to be?
1: That's your question, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? <laughs> That's a great question. I think that it's important when we share the gospel with anybody that we recognize that apart from Christ, we're right where you are. Um, Man, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And that's the message of Paul and all the apostles. And so I think that we can communicate the gospel to people, but we need to do it in a way that's honest and recognizing that we don't have it all together, even after we're followers of Christ, because it was never about us, and we're never going to be perfect. And God loves us in spite of us, ourselves, and that's good news. Um, so, you know what, I think that if we're in blatant, obvious sin, and we're unrepentant in it, then that's probably an issue, and we're probably not getting the gospel, and so we probably don't want to go out and start doing all kinds of evangelism if we're living in unrepentant sin. But if you're living a life where you're struggling with sin, and you're wrestling to give that to God, and begging that He would help you in that, and when you communicate to someone else, look, like, God saved me, He loves me. And there are still things inside me that are dark that I don't like, but He's working with me. He's transforming me inside. Then we can enter into it with humility. And I think that's, um, that makes our message so much more effective when we can recognize our own struggles in the midst of that.
3: Good question, Dan. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I quite agree. Um, I, I read a book one time, some of you may have heard of it, uh, Richard Foster. Uh, Celebration of Discipline. It's it's a remarkable book, um, and it's a classic. It's been around forever. I, actually, it's never gone out of hardback. It's never gone into paperback uh, for whatever reason. It's just one of those kind of classics. Anyway, Richard Foster tells a story about how when I'm guessing he it's was, not an ebook. Yeah, it's not an ebook. I guess it's probably an ebook right now. <laughs> um, he he tells a story about when he was a pastor and he'd been working really really hard, you know, trying to spread the gospel, trying to make the church grow and all these kind of things. And he really wasn't getting anywhere, and he was exhausted by ministry. He went to uh, a mentor friend of his, and he said, "Um, I I need help. I just need to talk to you. Can you pray for me? And the guy said, sure, uh, I can do that. And he said, let's meet at such-and-such place, and I'll pray for you. And he said he met me at such-and-such place to pray for me, and he said, before I pray for you, though, Richard, I've got something I think you need to hear. And he started confessing all his sins to Richard Foster. He, he started saying, I want you to know what I struggle with. And he said only after he confessed his sins did he say, okay, now I want to pray for you. I, I'm not suggesting you should always do, it, do that right and be that vulnerable, but in this situation, it was a profound message. And the message was, I'm not perfect. Grace is overwhelming. And that's what I want you to hear. So if you live your life that way, the way Josiah was saying, I'm not perfect, but grace is overwhelming. Look at me. Now look at my Jesus. Then you've got a possibility for really exemplifying truth. I think. Yeah.
2: I think that, that humility and that honesty is a lot more beneficial to our, our witness, our evangelism, than is a, a self righteousness. Look at me, I got it all together. No, look at me, I'm a mess. Uh, but I found someone that you ought to meet. You know? Come along. I'm I'm still journeying. I I mean the disciples didn't have all the answers, but yet they were still inviting other people to say they said, I don't know. You know, I don't know how a good thing can come out of Nazareth, but come along and meet him and, and you'll see. I think that's what we can do, too. You know, I don't have my life together, uh, but I'm following this guy, and he's helping me, uh, and, and he's the truth, and he's the way, and, and come and meet him and, and journey with him. I think that it's a good balance to the, the quote that it is a great quote. too. So uh, I think that's all the questions we had, unless there was a, a burning one. Simon. Sure. Yeah, I think there is the you know, the sense, come and see, as Josiah said, we can't say come and see and, and actually talk to Jesus in the flesh. Don't underestimate the importance of saying, come and see, come to the church. Uh, the church is the body of Christ. We're imperfect in our manifestation of being the body, uh, but come to the church. Come, come and hear the word. Come in and be a part of community, even before you understand, even before you accept, still come and see. Uh, So there is a lot of failed attempts at explaining the gospel. I fail in explaining the gospel a lot. That's okay. You don't have to have it perfect. And there's an apologetic that goes on when the spirit is moving among the people that you can't articulate. And so I think the come and see is still a very appropriate mode of evangelism.
3: I, I, I would just acknowledge the truth of your question, right? and that is that sometimes people come and see and it doesn't work. So that is honest too, uh, to acknowledge that, but not to retreat from the invitation to come and see because the experiment wasn't a success, right? Um, There's a a wonderful series of essays by Leo Tolstoy called Walking in the Light, and uh, one of the essays is a story, a short story, well, they're all short stories, a short story of a early Christian community, fictitious, okay? And this early Christian community um, had a a bishop or a pastor or something like that. You know back then, by the way, early Christian communities were very small. They were isolated. The Roman Empire was large and huge and overwhelming. And in these small Christian communities, you were an outcast. This young man in the story was in the marketplace, right? He was just doing his thing, selling his bread, trying to find work, whatever he did. And he encountered a young friend of his from a long time ago. The friend of his okay, was actually a part of a, 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 an upper echelon family, okay? And he hung out with this kid when he was little. The person I'm talking about who hung out with this kid was now a Christian. He was a part of that community. And the story goes that the kid who was a Christian, when he was a little boy, he was a slave in the household of this other friend's father okay so he runs into his old friend in the marketplace and they exchange greetings and they say oh my gosh i haven't seen you for years how you doing and the young christian friend who was the former slave in the household says i'm doing well i found this new thing it's really changing my life um it's a part of well it's a community and he described the community to him and the friend who's an aristocrat who's got all the money and got all the success and the guy was wonderfully successful said doesn't sound like me I'm uninterested and the young man who's a Christian says that's fine it's been a wonderful thing for me I'll see you later he does see him later again in the marketplace and they renew their friendship again and before long this young man who's an aristocrat who's got it all together but empty inside according to the story says I'd like to know more and you know what the friend says to him he says to him well, just come and see. He says, just come be a part of our community. Come hear what we're talking about. Come hear what we believe. See what you think. That's evangelism. You don't have all the right words, but you do have the Savior. And you just invite people. Hey, we're flawed, but we're talking about something that's really helping me. Come and see.
2: Probably all. Uh, we're going to invite the, the band to come back up. And uh, just a reminder, you know, as the band's coming up, uh, if you have questions, uh, Josiah, you're going to be
1: in the union. Uh, yeah, I'll be in the union tomorrow from one to three, and you can email me if that time doesn't work. But you want to talk about tonight's message? Love to hear from you.
3: One other thing is like we're, you know, we're always available too, right? It's not like just office appointments. Uh, We can get overwhelmed with appointments, but I know I'm always available. I I don't mean I'm always available. I don't have any schedule. I just mean that if you want to talk, call the front office and see about setting up a time to talk right over here, too. We'd like to do that. Yeah.